0: Hello, this is Anna Davis from On Farm. You may have already heard, or at least heard about, our five podcast episodes with SAOS, each looking at the many and varied challenges that Scottish farming faces in terms of delivering its responsibilities around climate change and helping Scotland to reach carbon net zero by 2045. This special bonus episode is a taster plate of those five discussions, packaging up some of the best and most salient points. If it's all you have time to listen to, then it will serve well as a primer on the climate change issues. But if you are keen and you hear some particular points in the next 25 minutes or so that you'd like to explore further or perhaps get more in-depth thoughts on, then uh, do listen out because I will be signposting um, you to the other main episodes uh, and that particular clip and where you can find it. So uh, if it catches your attention and you want to go back and listen, then you can find the other episodes on the SAOS website and also at uh, our usual link, which is www.podfollow.com forward slash on farm. So buckle yourself in, maybe grab a cup of tea, sit outside in the sunshine like I'm doing right now, but uh, make yourself comfortable because this is a whistle-stop tour, but a very interesting one. We will be hearing about practical and technical solutions, some mindset shifts and background on why all of this stuff really, really matters. We will hear how, if done properly, paying proper regard to issues around climate change can even benefit your business and your farming system. Moreover, we will hear very, very powerful arguments that the only way for Scottish farming to meet this climate challenge is cooperatively.
1: This is sort of first and foremost, one of the biggest issues we've ever had to to deal with. It's never been more important.
0: Mark Clark, SAOS Chairman and Grampian Growers Managing Director, to kick us off, he took part in episode three.
1: Going back to sort of 2015, SAOS um, started to look at something called sort of carbon positive. So it's, it's been, you know, more than five years since we've uh, identified along with various other industries, you know, what the... Huge challenge that we're we're facing ahead of us with net zero in twenty forty five, but even more importantly, the seventy five percent reduction in twenty thirty. That's only one and a half rotations of either a bulb crop or a potato crop. So it's pretty damn imminent. You know, we live and breathe cooperation and collaboration and communication every day as a as a business, and I don't think there's ever been anything so important. As the, the climate change sort of maze, we've got to try and direct our, ourselves and our members through at this point in time.
0: So often we talk about the fight against climate change. SAOS Head of Cooperative Development Jim Booth made the point very eloquently in our fifth episode that farm co-ops and the collaborative sector as a whole really must own this fight and take it forward together.
2: The only way to, to tackle it is to cooperate And so for many farmers, I think they're just unsure where to start and what should they do for the best. And one of the best ways to drive change is to provide that leadership role of the co-ops, the co-op sectors. Because co-ops make things happen. They have the the leadership, they have the management resource, they have the, the capability, the capital, and they have the roots. Importantly, they have the roots down to family farms, their members. So have that route, that communication network as well. So it's a great opportunity for farming and a great opportunity for farm co-ops. It allows you to be part of something, economies of scale, and have a, you know have some influence in your in your supply chain. Admittedly, would we're not going to match the power of the the major multiples, but you have some some scale and you have some influence. The other thing, it's a great route to manage risk and volatility is one of the biggest challenges for a farm business. To build resilience, you know, build resilience and protect family farms. By cooperating, it protects your farm and allows you to have a a viable business for the future and to pass it on to your next generation as well. We've been working on a project this year called Co-ops and the the Climate Challenge. And what we've been doing is scoping out Co-ops to recognise... What co-ops have done already, we're not starting from, you know, from base, from now. Of course, each co-op is different, but they're on a journey. They're on a journey. And in in summary, in general, the marketing co-ops are probably further down the road because, as you know, there's two drivers. It's the the driver coming out from Scottish Government in terms of the ambitious climate change targets. But the other driver which is actually probably the most important this now, is really coming from the market, the consumers. All our marketing co-ops are already down that road. They're already addressing sustainability. They're recording their sustainability, doing things to provide evidence of reducing their admissions from their members and from their processes, where perhaps further back in the supply chain, the input supply co-ops are only starting this journey. So there's a big difference between the two there
0: jim booth from episode five mark brooking was also part of that same chat he is sustainability director for first milk as a dairy farmers cooperative they have an ambitious target to cut their members carbon footprint by half by 2030 and to hit net zero emissions by 2040
3: we launched what we we termed our first for milk pledge last year which uh, Members were voluntarily asked to sign up to it which is like end, which was a commitment on grazing, which is like you know as well as which is like you know so sort a of commitment to ensure that animals have a life worth living, also building social capital, they actually so interacting with the general public but also together, and then also working with uh, you know effectively as a consumers, so making sure the farms are actually consumer ready, which is like you know twenty four seven the farmers actually really enjoy actually this 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 opportunity to be able to demonstrate the good work they're already doing. We've talked about biodiversity and I've certainly seen the instances where on farming you say, what, what what do you do to enhance biodiversity? And the farm will actually say, Well actually I don't do anything actually, I don't think. But then you talk to them, and that is like they don't cut the hedges every year, they fenced off waterways, etc. Done massive things to enhance the biodiversity, but they didn't necessarily have the lingo. Encouraging plant diversity, efficient use, and actually is like managing soil and effectively building soil are things that I would say the majority of our members already do. It gives them the tools to be able to. Talk to the naysayers, talk to the people who are necessarily saying, "Well, okay, dairy farming's bad and you know cows have got devil's horns, etc. This is a fantastic opportunity, I believe, for our members to have something that they can talk to those people, but also be proud to talk to their families and friends of actually what they're doing. To actually as like, you know, be part of the climate solution.
0: In episode three, we heard from Andrew Moyer, contract farmer, chairman of Scottish Quality Crops and the lead on the Scottish government's climate change group for arable and horticulture. His big focus was on how good business cooperation and climate efficiencies all go hand in hand.
4: Well, it's quite simple. Cooperation is, is good for business. It's good for business. It's good for the climate. So if you're cooperating with other farmers, other groups, other businesses, your efficiencies go up and therefore your business returns are better and, and greenhouse gases come down. That's a known fact. If you're really doing something um, like sort of, uh, the GPS stuff, collaborating with people on, on how to do that, your inputs are correctly targeted to what you're doing. Therefore, your production goes up and the greenhouse gases per ton comes down i'm making it sound too simple but it, it it's almost as simple as that if you're being an efficient business it's a win-win on the climate and on your own business and you have to go and learn these things you've got to go and bounce ideas off other farmers other businesses and there is a, a good advice out there that, that well, we've got scottish agronomy for instance another a co-op I've got Ringlink on my doorstep who are uh, immense for my business. It allows me to run this business really efficiently. So efficiencies is is it allows me as a farmer to do things which I couldn't probably do uh, otherwise.
0: And Andrew, you're a very modest guy, so you've not really mentioned this, and you probably wouldn't mention it unless I brought it up, but you have been asked to chair the new Scottish Government group um, to tackle climate change, the Arable group. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you think that group is going to to make a big difference within the sector?
4: Yeah, well, I I didn't take that role on lightly. When I was asked, I thought long and hard about it, and I got some good feedback from Mr Ewing that he wanted it to be about production. He wanted farmers to be part of the solution, as I do, and there's an opportunity there for farmers to do their bit. But also, of course, because the legislation that's running down the track that we've got to get that right on. We, as a group, have an opportunity, and for all farmers with an horticulture, to give government the ideas that are practical, that we can do and are doing, and will do in the future, to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions and for us to be seen by all as part of the solution.
0: I told you this is a whistle-stop tour. Andy McGowan from the Scottish Pig Producers Co-op got involved in episode two.
5: I think as a sector, we've been, maybe take a slightly different approach to it in that we haven't been subsidised for several decades. So it's really been a case of survival of the fittest, which meant we've had a very firm focus on efficiency improvement and as a co-op, we, one of the first points on this one is back in 2002 when we set up a separate company to uh, drive health improvement, health being the biggest constraint on efficiency within the pig farms achieving their potential. So we recognised from way back then that we could drive efficiency better by working nationally and regionally rather than individual farms just doing their own thing. As an output of that has been farms that are more profitable, have lower costs of production, or more efficient, but the more efficient farms have a lower carbon footprint. We just weren't measuring it in those terms. So we have a sector that's already well used to working collectively to try and push these things down because we've won that argument that says it's in their interest to get involved with these things because they will be more profitable. It's just that in the last couple of years and going forward, we'll be needing to measure this more explicitly in terms of carbon and environment whereas previously I would have measured it in terms of growth rates and health but it has the same impact. My suspicion would be that's reduced the carbon footprint per kilo of Scottish pork by about 15-16%.
0: Episode four was all about how we continue to farm effectively in the face of often harsh and unpredictable weather patterns that we've been facing in recent years. This unpredictability is largely blamed on climate change and is likely to get worse in future. Graeme Lofthouse, a Borders livestock farmer, was part of that discussion and he came armed with some practical and pragmatic solutions.
6: Direct drilling is a much better option for us, whether that be for forage crops or for direct grass reseeds going back in. Holds, holds the soil together, holds holds everything together, and you don't lose it down the river, basically. Having to have a much closer relationship with SEPA than we did do in the past, and that's mostly to do with riverbank maintenance and uh, erosion of riverbanks. It is a challenge, and obviously they have the regulations to adhere to as well, but we have to manage the land as best we can to protect our asset, and our big asset is soil. So losing a lot of soil is not a great option for us at all either. I've had a big thing for a while that I think if we could actually breed grass varieties which would grow at half a degree to a degree lower than they currently do it could have a significant impact on grassland production in the UK from myself, I've been looking particularly at Festuloliums, which are a, a tall fescue cross-perennial ryegrass, which have a much better ability to cope with extreme conditions. So either extreme wet or extreme heat. Having drought has been as big an impact as anything. So, I mean, like last year when we had those months of dry, it's immediately impacting on feed supply coming into winter
0: a key part of Scottish agriculture is of course soft fruit growing. Our very first episode in the SAOS series featured Angela Porches of the fruit co-op Angus Growers, another one making the point that farmers need to speak up more about the good work that is being done already. We have actually been introducing a number of environmental measures which do make a big impact but we just quietly do that in the background. We're not very good at letting people know what it is we're doing. You know, we. When I think about over the past 10 years, we have been, we've pretty much discontinued the use of peat as a growing system. Uh, We primarily use coir and this alone, obviously just the reduction of peat will inevitably lead to the reduction of the mining of peat and the use of peat reduces the, the emissions of greenhouse gases. In addition, we also use biological controls, which I think is something that people don't really know about. You know, the average person out there doesn't, doesn't know that we use these predatory insects as a way of controlling pests rather than using chemical alternatives poor Angela. Somebody started doing DIY in her next door neighbour's house just as we started that interview. So uh, just one of the joys of, of lockdown life. In episode five, Tim Wilson, CEO of supply co-op Aspatria Farmers, did a great job of very pithily summing up both the breadth of challenge that the sector is up against and how many of the answers lie in closer collaboration.
7: At uh, farm level, we've got farmers who were. Uh seeing um, consumer pressure obviously driving towards uh, net zero, which uh, Mark's reflecting. You've got NGOs and other influencers who are gaining a lot of traction in the press that's making farmers feel a bit uh, uh, disenfranchised. All of that has coincided with a change in terms of government support for farmers and uh, moving towards the Elm system, which has not been uh, well communicated or the, or the advice to farmers is uh, is still a bit flaky in terms of how that's going to affect their day-to-day activity. So. We see the leadership has really got to come by co-ops, farmer-owned businesses getting together in order to make sure that farmers get the advice they need rather than the advice they can afford. You've got to remember that a lot of the advice that goes on to farms these days is coming from a number of providers who are probably not fully trusted by the farmer. It's been delivered by commercial businesses who probably don't have the farmer's interest at uh, the top of their priorities. So for farmer, farmer-owned processors and farmer-owned suppliers, uh, providing products and advice and helping farmers adopt better, better and more efficient systems, um, it really needs to come from businesses where I think the farmer's got a stake in those businesses. And obviously the co-op model is uh, is ideal for that.
0: In the same episode, Mark Brooking from First Milk, who we heard from earlier, has a powerful reminder that all businesses need to listen to consumers and that consumers are telling us loudly that climate change is a big factor in their purchasing decisions.
3: It's not just the actual um, UK customers we have. This is from across the world, so we would export to over 26 countries. There is as many questions coming from the Middle East and for, you know, further afield of actually overproduction standards. Over 70, 74% of the consumers are concerned about climate change, so it actually backs up previous research. But also 76% would sooner purchase milk from or dairy products from farmers that graze it's just like you know again it's something that's hugely important and if you look at the difference in the in the generations, so the the attitudes of of various age groups we need to future-proof our industry we do need to be so much consumer-led i believe yes
0: and we'll finish this edition with just two more perspectives rory christie shortly but first jim booth
2: we have to think differently. We have to differentiate ourselves and we have to look to add value through premiumization And I think in having climate-friendly production is part of that proposition. So I think there's a great opportunity here for Scotland. And there's that delicate balance to be achieved between reducing emissions and improving our environmental sustainability, whilst at the same time maintaining productivity. You know, we've got to guard against... Production levels fall in, so we're more reliant on food imports, which is simply offshoring our emissions, you know, somewhere else in the world. I also wanted to just add, we don't need every farm business to achieve net zero emissions. That would be really inefficient, and that would lead to a loss of productivity. It's net zero across the whole industry. So that varies with the farm, the farm situation, their land use capability, and their own ambition and what they want to do. So you can imagine an upland farm where there have lots of opportunities. They perhaps will do more tree planting and peatland rest- restoration and maintaining you know, permanent grass. Well, in the East Coast and productive land, you know, we really need to
3: ensure that is maintained. Actually, if I'm very honest, I think farmers are behind the cover on this. I don't think they they want to face the responsibility that we hold. I really think we, we need to work together before somebody else takes control of the situation and then we're just told what to do. And so if we want to have input and we want to, unite our resources so we get a better result for agriculture and therefore for the planet. Because if farmers are left out in the cold, farmers are the people who know the earth, that they work, the soil that they work. And therefore somebody needs to listen to us and somebody needs to ask us what we think we can do. And it will be much better if that's in a credible, collaborated way
0: dairy farmer rory christie there rounding off this special edition of on farm for us in his characteristically no-nonsense style so i hope it's all been useful and informative later this year saos will be launching a new facilitated platform cultivating collaboration network or c2n which will be accessible through joining saos as an associate member this membership is open to organisations and businesses who want to be involved in the collaborative growth of agriculture through developing partnerships with other SAOS members. So if this series of podcasts has ignited your ideas, and I hope it has, for how practical solutions can be co-developed with co-ops, then please do get in touch. You want to contact Helen Glass, and if you go to the SAOS website, you can contact her through that. So the website is www.saos coop so that's saos dot c double op